Vulcan was one of the founding members of the Federation. They would never abandon it. Must have been the Romulans. No, the Romulans wanted to stay. Even before the burn, the Federation was running out of dilithium. All member planets were ordered to put their best scientists towards finding a solution. Navarre's contribution was SB-19, a system to transport starships thousands of light years in an instant, much like your spore drive. What happened? It was new technology. Navarre's scientists felt, ultimately, that it was too dangerous. And so they asked permission to shutter the program. But it was the most promising dilithium alternative of the day, and so the Federation ordered them to proceed. They think they caused the burn? No. They think we forced them to cause the burn. Welcome to Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Notch Karnik, and with me, although now Romulan priestesses are... Uh, Adam Bowen. Emily Bowen Marler. And Rudy Kuzbaker. Do y'all commit to absolute candor in this podcast episode, y'all? With your no. new priestess status? <laughs> <laughs> Only if we're true to ourselves, yes. Great. All right, I'll go along. <laughs> well, technically, you're nuns. You're not priestesses, you're nuns, but... You know, I, I decided to like, uh, I don't know. Do we think priestesses are and nuns? Like, are they comparable in rank or? Well, they're, and they, these are like specifically warrior nuns and whatnot. So it like, how does that fit in with the ranking? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. But uh, well, anyway, we'll find out as the episode rolls on. Right. So sorry for letting me uh, throw us completely off track within 10 seconds. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, let's just go. Uh, so Strange New Takes is a Star Trek theme pod. Uh, the original pitch for this was that we were going to be covering Strange New Worlds, but then we found out that that was going to be 25 years from now. Uh, so the, uh, instead, we're going to just start doing Star Trek, uh, and we have been doing it for a while. So yeah, uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, Star Trek Discovery uh, Unification Part 3. Uh, you are not allowed to listen to this episode if you haven't already watched the Unification Parts 1 and 2. I expect that you all have done that uh, in preparation. But mm. before we get there, we want to encourage you to follow us on social media at Strange New Takes on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Also, make sure to tell your friends to listen to us. We super love getting strange new listeners from all over the world. Your recommendations are the best way to introduce new people to our podcast. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes, because when you do, that puts us higher on podcast discovery lists. So people such as maybe yourself from a little while ago, go onto podcast services and type in Star Trek. Uh, podcasts with better ratings get put higher on that list. So we would be much obliged if you give us a five-star rating. If there is a five-star rating you've given, I will read it out on the show. And as Adam was mentioning earlier, um, doubling down, just as a heads up, this podcast and literally all our podcasts include spoilers and potentially other episodes of Star Trek and or fandom, um, ones that we may not know, know about, such as Unification 1 and 2. So if you don't want to be spoiled, feel free to hold off um, until you get a chance to watch it. If not, just jump in with us. 
All right. Well, before we get to Unification 3, we actually have some strange New Worlds news. The casting lists kind of, I, I don't know if they dropped. They might have been out there for a while. I'm not sure. But we certainly got a view into what the characters on that show are going to be like. So if you don't want to find out a little bit more about what you're going to see on Strange New Worlds, feel free to pop ahead a few minutes uh, in this podcast. Uh, but uh, if, if, you, if you don't care about being spoiled a little bit for Strange New Worlds, Let's uh, let's move into that. Uh, first on the list of characters that are on these casting lists is Yeboa. She's black in her early 20s and fresh out of the academy. She's a linguistics genius, bright, promising, and the youngest member of the crew. She can sound American or have any other accent. And yeah, that's uh, so that that's one the first character from Strange New Worlds I have learned about. What do y'all think? Huh? Any any reactions so far? Well, since she is the youngest crew member, I'm uh, predicting that we're going to have twinkling uh, chimes uh, in the score whenever they uh, sort of show up on screen. We need to think about how the children are our future. Uh, and yeah, so looking forward to it. Wesley well, Cut Crusher Part 3. And, and also <laughs> notice in some of these, you're going to see a few other uh, interesting things that might point out some early plots. Like this, there's a linguistics genius on the on the main cast so that's kind of an interesting thing right mm -hmm. well they're going to strange new worlds so they clearly would need someone who can help them with that yep all all feeding into um the universal translator technology at some point i guess mm -hmm. next up is laan she's in her late 20s early 30s and the head of security badass physical and suffers from ptsd has an air of vigilance and precision. They specifically like someone who is East Indian, Asian, or Middle Eastern, but are open to any ethnicity. Funny how her name isn't something like Jane Smith then. She's more or less sounds like a combination of every security officer we've seen on screen, according to the site called The Illuminerdy, which, by the way, are the folks who gathered this information for us. Thank you. It's theilluminerdy.com. So what do y'all think about La'an, huh? Yeah, I think Middle Eastern would be good. Um, physical badass suffers from PTSD. Um, reminds us of a certain character from DS Nine, right? Um, so I'm thinking... also from TNG. I mean, yeah, that sounds like <laughs> Tasha Yar. Except, I mean, apart from race, but. Right. Yeah, definitely her backstory was completely full of that kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. I, I mean, I I'm excited in terms of. I think we've been touching on uh, people like people sort of like dealing with really bad stuff and trying to sort of process that in discovery. And it's been interesting so far. So I, I, I do like what the writers are currently doing with it. So I, I'm interested to see how they would treat a character that uh, is sort of like put into the position of security, but is suffering from this. And and this is probably someone who served under Commander Nan as well. So maybe there might be some interaction between the you know existing stress that this person feels from their condition and the mm -hmm. maybe some loss, uh, perhaps. But we don't know anything about that. Maybe it's just a character who's new to the ship. So who knows? They're, but they're going to be also traumatized by Ariam uh, after meeting Ariam <laughs> for fifteen minutes. <laughs> Sorry, this may be an uninformed question for me but do we have a prominent star trek character who is of middle eastern origin yet uh well bashir 
Yeah. 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 Sorry. Yeah. Was, yeah. He's so, Sudanese, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mm-hmm. don't know his back. He played Hannibal though once. He's half Sudanese. He's half he, Sudanese. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. He's also related to Malcolm McDowell. Ooh. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Mm. That's awesome. Uh, a third character that we heard about is Ortegas in her late 20s, Latina and an experienced veteran has kept a dry wit even with the combat she's seen smart, funny, competitive and is able to pivot from handling a gun to making a joke. <laughs> <laughs> These are so funny sometimes. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I mean, they um, may, may bear no resemblance to what actually shows um, up on the screen yeah, later. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. First thing that popped in my mind was First Officer Ransom. But... Um... <laughs> <laughs> I do well, have we to need say, to have creeps oh. on both sides. So, <laughs> I do have to say, this is miles. Like, what is a bigger distance than miles? Better than the way they describe the women in pretty much every other Star Trek casting call or at least all the ones from the 60s and the 90s so or i guess oh, I, 80s and 90s because yeah, they're all pretty terrible in the way that they describe the women that they're looking to cast sexy comes into every single description and it's pretty gross mm. yeah jeez, i can't even yeah i don't even i have not actually gone and seen any of those but given all <sighs> of the decisions they made over the years yeah yeah the the ship's doctor is listed as B I O D U N, so Bjorden, and the description states he's a close advisor to Pike, has an air of easy erudition, is male, black in his forties, and curiously enough, is stated that this character is from the original series, quote unquote. So that's weird, cause that's not who the doctor was in the cage. So it's, we're not really sure who this person might be yet. Uh, but apparently it's based on someone from the original series. Yeah, so maybe mm-hmm. someone that got uh, transferred to a different ship at some point? Yeah, maybe. Um, and but... I'm not a big enough, I don't know TOS well enough to know who that would even be. You need to find the phone number of the, uh, the person who keeps winning in uh, Minneapolis so that you can... Uh, tell it. We can call him up and ask him questions. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, everything I've seen on the internet tells me that they've had trouble identifying who this person might be. So we'll see. Maybe it's okay. got one of those like casting calls where they've thrown us off the hunt a little bit by giving us some fake details. You know. <laughs> so anyway, but we have a nurse uh, as well, uh, Miller. She's in her late twenties, early thirties. Caucasian, heroic, charming, free thinking, and the beating heart of sickbay. Also, how I describe my partner, Ariel. So, <laughs> okay. Anyway, anyway. Okay, so that's Strange New Worlds. Uh, perfect, perfect. Very excited to find out more about all of these new characters. Uh, do have you heard if if they've started filming yet? I remember uh, hearing that it was production soon, but... February, right? Is that what they said? Right. Yes, we had had that update recently. So. Very excited to get some, maybe some production photographs, some, uh, you know, grainy photos from like uh, UCLA or wherever they film Starfleet Academy every year, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and all that funny business. Probably in Vancouver, although. So anyway, but uh, let's move on to talking about Unification 3. Episode summary of this was 
while grappling with the fallout of her recent actions and what her future might hold, Burnham agrees to represent the Federation in an intense debate about the release of politically sensitive but highly valuable Ben data. <laughs> this is the seventh episode of the third season of Discovery. It was written by Kristen Baer, directed by John Dudukovsky. Uh, in universe date is 3189. All right, your strange new takes, please. I don't know that there's anything more delicious in this world than sage butter. Mm. I just basically use the roll as the vehicle to get the sage butter to my mouth. It's so good. Anyway. Yeah, that is definitely one of the highlights when when we're able when when it's we're not in a post-apocalyptic world and able to have Thanksgiving (laughs) together uh, is Emily making that for everybody else. So, yeah, Yeah. I'm, I'm missing that this year for sure. We have so much sage at the church garden and like it's going to it's going to be very cold. So it's all going to die tonight. Um, So I have a whole bag of sage in the house. My mom has a whole bag of sage. So we'll probably be making some sage butter to freeze or something. Yeah, you can start shipping out bricks of uh, sage butter to people. And you know, you make grilled cheese with sage butter spread on the outside. Oh, so good. Anyway, um, and my strange new take for this episode is, hmm. Isn't that an amazing thing that you could have an episode of Star Trek rated PG and it can be absolutely amazing and doesn't need to have like horrific violence or lots of swearing or other things like that in it. So I, just, I, I don't know. It, it I think could that's have done the with only an episode. Well, you know, I think that's the only is it. Am I the right in thinking this is the only episode of Discovery that's been rated PG? I, I feel like I, every sorry, other episode. I don't episode look at the ratings. Been... Oh well, I didn't look at the rating. Well, I always notice when it says MA at the top because I kind of get right. annoyed because I can't mm. ever watch it if my kid's in the room because it's mm. so violent. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but anyway, so I, I mean, I noticed that, but um, the, I, I mean, after I saw this episode, I looked over at Travis and I was like, "What was that rated?" Because they didn't need to like kill a bunch of people or blow anything up or they didn't do any of that stuff and i went back and looked this or i looked right before the our podcast and saw it was rated pg yeah tilly didn't even say the f word when she was promoted or shitty shit 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 (laughs) (laughs) which i think is hilarious but but yeah anyway yeah yeah i think you may be onto something there um emily we should go back and check (laughs) ratings and um yeah so for me my strange new take um, general take, um, just, um, a brief, um, well, not really in a eulogy, but just a brief mention to, uh, good old Maradona. You guys, if you see me on zoom, I'm wearing a Jersey of his, um, maybe a little bit of DMI. It's been worn a little, a little too long, the Jersey, not, not since he <laughs> passed away, not that long. But yeah, some fond memories, um, grew up with those memories. So he was, he was, um, quite a prolific person in, in so many different ways, um, touched, touched by greatness and also by, uh, the depths of some really messy stuff. So, yeah, um, that's my strange new take for, um, the world out there for this episode. Um, jump in and correct me guys, but, um, since we started this podcast through Lower Decks and, 
season three of Discovery. Is this the first time that um, any particular episode has gone into great detail about an established Star Trek race? Uh, or have they done that before? Because I, I liked that part. It was interesting. Uh, I won't go into so much around how I felt that was conducted, but it was just good to find out about um, one of the established races in, in, in more detail than just, you know, bo- you know, map behind somebody in some episode or something like that. Yeah, I, I did really enjoy the, the treatment of, of all of that this, this episode. Um, I guess, so my, my strange new take for the real world is always very well prepared and thought of in advance. Uh, in this particular case, uh, I would like you to, if you if you're assigned from your company uh, that you're supposed to be sending a video to present to clients, so uh, waving, smiling, and whatnot, uh, you need to think about which is the good side for your chicken. Uh, and you need to hold her in the appropriate hand so that uh, her comb doesn't flop over in her face and get in her eyes while she's trying to wave at the camera. Uh, it, it's just not its not a flattering look for her, and you need to be mindful of that. Uh, for the actual episode, uh, well, I, I don't know if it's exactly for, for the episode. It, this, this episode cemented it for me. Uh, and that is the Coat Malat is the best addition to the Star Trek canon from Picard. And additionally, I think it might be one of the best introductions of into Star Trek canon maybe ever. Like the, the, the idea of uh, a society that adheres to absolute candor is, uh, in my mind, uh, just as interesting as all, all of the explorations we've done into like the the Vulcan ideal of of uh, suppressing emotion and replacing with logic. Like there is so much that you can get out of a character who is willing to say just what they truly think to everybody else and not apologize for it. That I I just I I think it is it's so compelling and I just I want to have these characters in every show. The Zatvash are extremely offended by your categorization of the Kowat Malat. As the they, they are they are not the best <laughs> <laughs> well, and well the best thing about the quat malat is that they're romulan like that's the yeah. best part is, yeah. i mean it's like this anyway yeah it, it, that is for it and i'm glad that both of them happened in picard because uh they they made up for the Zatvash by by creating the Koat Malat, they, they uh, there was a, a terrible crime they did to Romulan lore and a great gift. So, uh, yeah. All right. Well, my strange new take is that you need to go out there and get yourself a 2020 pandemic ornament that features toilet paper, people wearing a mask, and hand sanitizer. It exists, and it is hilarious. And if you're the type of person like me who buys yearly ornaments, do it. <laughs> it is it is very worth it. Um, okay, but uh, I, I, I am... I, I think I might be becoming too cynical in life when it comes to TV. And I, I think I need to find a way for me to, like, disengage... And really just let the TV take me where it wants to go. And I'm going to try to do that. Um, because I 
found myself grading on some of the Deus Ex Machina, and I think even though they work quite well, I don't know, something about it just kind of makes me a little... makes me wish that they, they weren't there. So, but I'll bring this up in the next few minutes when we're talking about story and writing. And, uh, but, but I, I just, again, I find myself bumping on this and I, I don't want to become like that guy who's on YouTube being like, and Star Trek again came out with another episode. And let me tell you the things that they did badly. Cause that, that's not me. I don't, I don't want to be like that, you know? So I, I would, however, like, comment and subscribe. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. My, my 1 million subscribers plaque in the back thanks you very much for your service okay in-depth episode discussion let's jump into story and writing uh my first note is actually from the right in the beginning of the episode which is that there's this narrated exposition where burnham's telling us all about how she feels i thought that was completely unnecessary and if we just jumped in straight when her and book are in bed that could have the episode could have started there and we wouldn't have missed a thing i think we all kind of were with burnham where she was and I, I gotta say that the writers need to trust their audience on the show a little bit more to, by just showing us stuff and not telling us, having characters tell us how they're feeling, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's fair. Uh, at the very least, I, I'm a little bit more forgiving for them just because, like, we we have lots of episodes start with the supplement or supplemental log and whatnot, and so it's there's at least a reason for us to do it. And we've heard her do it earlier in the series, uh, or at least in this season. So yeah, I, I, I do agree that we could have just completely skipped over it. I, I wasn't terribly mad about it though. And, and she introduces the, what is essentially the a plot of this episode, which is Burnham is losing her interest, or at least the subtext of the A-plot, I don't know how mm -hmm. you would categorize it, but that, that she wants to leave Discovery, is not feeling connected to anybody in the crew. And this is an episode where she gets to handle that through this act of getting Vulcan information that they might not have caused the ban. And so what do y'all think about that whole, the, the way that they frame those two things within one another? I mean, I I think overall, I um, I appreciated how everything came together in this episode. The uh, I've been a little bit frustrated with the like, oh, is she frustrated or like why or also why is she frustrated uh, over the mm -hmm. past few episodes? But I mean, maybe it it, it almost feels like it might have been trying to set up something for her to be doing this episode. And I think I, I appreciated the resolution of it well enough that um, I, I don't know. I, I feel much less critical on on uh, her setup in this episode than I have in previous ones. Notch, can you go into a little bit more around what you what what you graded against there? Um, because I kind of feel the same way, but I just want to make sure. We're not yeah there. i think that what they did here i like the concept right like gabriel burnham shows up essentially if you had to distill this episode into a single sentence it is that gabriel burnham helps her daughter recognize that she's her feelings have distinct causes that aren't necessarily long term that that she, she helps her overcome her uh resistance to this new discovery 
At least that's the way I took it. By the end of this episode, Burnham feels better about being on the ship. And it's her mother's presence, someone who understands her and can speak truth to her like nobody else, that gets her there. I think for me, what I bumped on is how we got Burnham and her mom into the same room. We had the Tikal and Ket, which, hey, here's another thing we've never mentioned in Star Trek before coming back. And it's really convenient and like helps overcome this like intractable problem. And the other thing was how Gabrielle Burnham shows up, which is, hey, she's now a Romulan priestess. Like, I don't know. The, one of those things I could have I could have gone along and been like, okay, fine, no problem. I'll, I'll deal with it. It's okay. You know, let's move on. But both of them together, I was just like, oh my God, can, couldn't, couldn't we have done something a little bit differently to get, these, get the chess pieces on the board where we needed them, you know? Um, but... Yeah. I might be being unfair. Emily, you had something that you, you reacted to right there. Well, I just, I was going to say that to Colin Kett totally makes sense to have brought that into the story because clearly these founding planets or societies, whoever you want to call them, the founding members of the Federation, something has happened to make them abandon the Federation, right? We've seen three of the founding members already not be part of the Federation. Um and so her calling out something that would have been um, kind of, you know, at the heart of what Vulcan was about back when, you know, things were setting up Vulcan to be in a position where they would want to be part of a federation or mm -hmm. want to found a federation. That makes sense for her to kind of call back to that. Like, hey, you know, I'm going to help. Let me help you remember who you are, because clearly, mm. you know. You've kind of left this just like the same thing needs to happen with Earth. Same thing probably needs to happen with Andoria. I'm assuming it's called Andoria. Andor. Andor? I don't know. Andover, Minnesota. Anyway. Yeah, you know, it's something. <laughs> but um, so I, I mean, I think that's got to happen with with other of the founding members of the Federation. Um, I, I will confess I was like, oh, that's pretty convenient that that was her mother. But I totally yeah. forgave it by the end of the episode. So... It didn't yeah. like, I might've went, Oh really? But yeah, I had no qualms about it by the time we finished the episode. So, okay. Yeah. For, for me, the, the mechanics of the story ended up performing so well that I, I just, I, I kind of, yeah, was like, okay, I'm, I'm glad that you, uh, made up for the extremely convenient choices that you made here because we did at least like we pushed deep into, uh, uh, Michael's character and we learned a lot about her. We, she confronted a lot of the things that have been uh, that she's been dealing with this this season, and even the entire series. Um, and and yeah, I, so I I think I I appreciated that. The other thing is, as far as calling back into like an ancient ritual of of Vulcan, I I appreciated this because it, at the very least, it is um, it felt very true to the society that that is a, supposed to be present on Navarre. Where they're they're dealing with this sort of schism between there's between well it's not exactly a schism because it's it's trying to meld two uh, seemingly incompatible peoples, and the at least the stuff that we've seen of like ancient rituals on Vulcan I don't think uh, her uh, invoking like a fight to the death uh, between her and the Romulan president or the the 
uh, uh, presidents of Navarre would have been uh, a satisfying way to, to do this episode. So, so like, it, even though we kind of, like, made up the Tikalan Ket, it felt very Vulcan and was very, um, I, I don't know, I, I just, I, it felt uh, like an effective uh, exploration of their culture that we haven't gotten into um, very much. And so I, I, I still appreciate it. It felt very much in canon, even though it was kind of a random, convenient uh, situation. And, and Sorry. To me, f- go ahead, Rudy. Yeah, I was just going to say, for me, it started a little earlier. I'm actually with you on this mostly, Notch, but it's, for me, it's more around the roller coaster emotions that Burnham's going through. And it sort of got settled and explained in an open argument that was that had something to do with a bigger question around the burn. So her mom sort of calls her out. That was a little confusing to me. Um, it, it would have for me it would have been better if it was a closed door dialogue between her and her mom. Um, and 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 again, I'm I'm not able to reconcile how she was able to like go against Saru in the previous episode as well, right? And I don't think she apologizes mm-hmm. to Tilly. She just tells her, no. I had to go. Um so, you know, putting your 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 friend, your colleague, your peer in a tricky position. Um in contrast, maybe we can go into this later with Tilly, but that that was really amazing. She stepped out of that um, you know, someone who's just stumbling and geeky and 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 cute and she had a strong moral compass and that was really good to see. So for me, I I kind of lost Burnham in that whole, I don't know what I'm, if I'm here or there and I'm disconnected and now through an open argument in, um, in the Vulcan parliament or whatever that is the equivalent of, I am now good to go back to the ship. So, yeah. And and I want to be fair here, where you know we referenced, I think, just in the last episode where the Andorian guy shows up, that there was an Enterprise episode where Archer is able to get out of killing Shran by because they figured out an ancient Andorian custom where you can take out the antennae. So this is this is, and I I think there are others kind of like this where like someone invents a Klingon ritual or whatever. And I bet if Bill was here, he would be you know chastising me based on this point and i think i agree with that very much i th- i think eventually what i come up against is just that i wish there was just a little bit of sophistication in some of this writing which i feel is missing i feel like some of these episodes if they were in the 90s i would have i would not be so cynical and i think it's because we have been so spoiled with sophisticated television in the last especially in the last like year but you know the last two decades that maybe something that would I would have just not even noticed in the past I, I I bump up against and it's extremely unfair because you can't you can't approach perfection every time you put something on TV and so which is why I go back to my strange new take where I'm trying I'm really trying very hard I recognize this cynicism in myself and I don't want it to manifest uh, completely so um, but moving on moving on to to talking about, um, some of the the areas where I uh, I, I, I kind of noticed uh, some of some of the the um, pieces uh, of the puzzle coming together. I, I think it was in that courtroom, well, it was basically a courtroom scene, right? Like this was mm-hmm. the Star Trek courtroom episode almost. 
and it was where Ber- Gabriel's Burnham is like roasting her daughter. I think those there were some very effective pieces of dialogue there, and that sequence I think really kind of showed me what these writers are capable of. I thought it was one mm-hmm. of the best se- sequences in this season so far. What do y'all think? It called out all the things that we've been calling out in mm-hmm. Burnham for episode, you know, s- several episodes. Um, so it was nice to hear other people or her, well, her mother, I guess, but it was nice to hear someone on the show naming all of those things that we've been, you know, talking about. I wonder if yeah. that's gonna, there's going to be more kind of this self-referential attitude from the writers. It would be nice. Were y'all, going back to my point earlier, were y'all comfortable that happening in an open, like, I mean, almost I, like a I child think, situation? I don't know what that was, but... For for me, that that is the point of the absolute candor uh, sort of mm. vow. Mm-hmm. Is like that, that, and that's mm. the point of of the quote. Malat is that like they're supposed to make us feel very uncomfortable with the idea. It's not like uh, there's a lot of uh, aspects of um, different cultures in Star Trek which are just like, oh yeah, it's all right. We can, I can understand that, but they don't often go deeply enough to like realize like, yeah, if you if you go fully logic, like you're an asshole. And you and you, there's like lots of problems that you're gonna encounter with other people. And the the thing that I appreciate about the Coat Malat is that they're they're using those characters to push the buttons of everybody else and to do it in an inappropriate way uh, or a way that feels inappropriate to us, but is also trying to at the same time show us the value of that uh, sort of belief. Because like yes, it, it maybe it's inappropriate to out what happened in the in the corridor in the middle of the the trial, but her purpose was to identify like okay you're there's some there's some sort of internal conflict that's hap- that's happening you don't seem to be you're not telling the truth to us and there's something wrong with with how you're representing yourself and your argument in this trial and I mean like that gets. Uh, what that that gets at the core of like what Burnham should do and what she ends up deciding is like that this trial is completely inappropriate that she shouldn't have gone into this because she needs to consider the damage that she's doing to other people uh just because she has this desire and need to be right all of the time um and so so yeah i i it's i i think it's very purposeful that that was um like uncouth for her mom to say. Well, and I think it was blown open for Burnham in a way that she couldn't ignore because I think she does a really good job of ignoring that yeah, and stuffing all of that down and, and just going ahead with what she wants to do. And, yep. and this is how it needs to be done. Cause I know, you know, I have this strong moral core and I know what is right. And, and so I think this was the only way to kind of stop her in her tracks yeah. and have her examine what she was doing. You know, it's interesting because, you know, the writers of Picard were the ones that created the Quat Malat, but man, I think the writers of Discovery kind of perfected it or used yeah, it in yeah. the most powerful way that we've seen it used. You know, it's interesting. In the next week's episode's preview, they had a different Romulan group called the Quat Midwest, who are in the path of absolute passive aggression, <laughs> Romulan warrior priests. And so, uh, yeah, I'm very excited to see how they do. Apparently, one of the plots involves Burnham bringing a cake and no one wants to take the final piece. It's very tense <laughs> stuff. Very tense. Quick, quick question before we move on. Do you guys think uh, Van sort of approved of the Takal and Kets? 
Ooh. <laughs> because I, yeah, you, you triggered something there in my mind, Emily. Because um, it was a good way to bring out um the stuff that Burnham was suppressing in in open public. But would he have approved of that approach? If he would have, would he have approved of that? I'm just trying to see where where he would come from in terms of. It it almost seems like he forgave Burnham completely. Like he almost forgot about it. And he's like, "Oh, okay, you're not first officer." Um, so, what do you guys think? I think he saw an opportunity in her and recognized that it was kind of a loose cannon, or she could kind of be a loose mm-hmm. cannon, and was willing to take that risk. So. And conversely, is he okay with her giving up data to a non-Federation member in like an open, hey, I'll just give you stuff and I'll trust you to give me back when you're comfortable? Was she giving up? What data was she giving up? Well, the, she already gave it up. The, the, the triangulation. The, yeah. I, oh. So, well, so I think that was probably expected that she would be giving that in order to get... Even know. future data, though, she's giving up. See, see but the, this, you know, I, I want to jump in here because this this is actually the, when I talk about sophistication, this is it right here, which is, and I think this might, again, just because we don't have enough episodes. And maybe in the, in another version of season three, there's three episodes where Vance gets used to Burnham and so she sulks a little bit more. And so we don't need to tell the audience, oh, hey, Burnham is really feeling disconnected. We see it happen. Mm-hmm. We, we don't need Vance to be like, yeah, it's got to be you. It has to be you. We find out that they have built a relationship, so he trusts her again. And another thing, like, kind of like that, and just because I feel like I have to defend my my point standpoint in this whole sophistication thing, I don't just want to be like, they're unsophisticated and not, like, back it up. Yeah. <laughs> Burnham at one point feels surprised that Vulcan as founding members of the Federation aren't in the Federation anymore, whereas she's already encountered the Andorians, Earth, and has seen a whole year's worth of stuff in the burn that has just got her mind turned around. Instead, still, she's the character who's like, what? How did this happen? It's, it's, it just isn't like, you know, it's those moments that kind of pull you out and make you think. Whereas I feel like a lot of the best Star Trek, you don't have time to give it any thought. You know, the bill directive is in full effect and you're just like, I'm along for the ride. Star Trek 2009, you know, it's, it's, when you really think about it, the whole concept of like a bunch of ensigns taking over the ship is kind of hokey, but you don't you don't get a you don't get time to ruminate on it because it's just, and it's so the, it's, it's I, the it's the production value maybe I don't know I, I just wanted to the reason I was calling this out again was if I was one of those three Navaran leaders right, and I'm 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 I've been called I've been called to a, a quorum to discuss stuff and then I see a a, a daughter and a mother discussing how the daughter's not figuring out what she needs to do. And then she's like, oh, okay, I'm sorry, I'm leaving. Especially I'm one of those other two senators who wanted to share data. I was like, what what, what just happened? Like, are you going away now? Um, so, and then they, <laughs> she gets the data anyways. So if I was the, the lady senator and, and the Romulan um, senator, I'm going to call them senators, they just got underhanded completely, right? You know, it's so interesting. Um I totally like I, I only watched the episode once, I'll confess that. But 
I had none of the issues you had, Nutch. Like, none of them. I was just along for the ride. I was like, I'm so sad that I don't get to text Adam about this. Because Adam and I used to text each other immediately after we'd see the episodes and talk all about it. But we're not doing that now because we're on this podcast and we want it to be fresh, right? I was so sad. I wanted to text him so badly because I'm like, this was so awesome. You know, anyway, so it's just interesting. This is why it's good to have diversity of views. Well, thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that. Because, yeah, that's, you know, I'm not like yeah i i'm i'm wrong here and and i have seen far more positive reactions and which is why i come to this episode and i say i am trying to improve myself i am i maybe maybe i need to turn away from the way of the absolute candor okay uh we are speaking of absolute candor we are we are a little too candorous at this point because we're getting already about 40 minutes into this episode so we need to keep moving uh and and let's talk about very quickly about the expansion of the world of trek that we are that we have now first of all let us remind them who we are seems to have if you haven't noticed it already become kind of a catchphrase on the uss discovery uh i think it's a little bit long but still you know i'll take it all right uh we we got three ships mentioned that the black boxes were from the uss yelchin Hmm, that's nice tribute to anthony elchin uh who who played chekhov on uh in the reboot movies the uss giacchini which honors the italian astronomer riccardo giacchini Uh, rudy i thought i would give you the honor of telling us what riccardo giacchini has done i you got me on the spot there (laughs) i will need to find out i don't know He's an Italian-American Nobel Prize-winning astrophysicist who passed away in 2018 who laid down the foundations of X-ray astronomy. So he won the Nobel Prize in physics in 2002. All right. Uh, Just know that anytime anything to do with space comes up, I'm going to point it to you because you're like obsessed with (laughs) that stuff. I have have some notes, but yeah, you got me on that one. (laughs) (laughs) The USS Governor, which uh, has no backstory as far as anyone can tell. Okay. SB-19. We learned about SB-19. Who wants to talk about SB-19? Reminds me of K-19, the doomed Russian submarine. Was, was that the name of the movie? Yeah. K-19 Widowmaker <laughs> yeah. with Harrison Ford. <laughs> <laughs> Strange new take on SB-19. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah. Um, I, well, it's I ha- interesting. Oh, go no, go go, Rudy. Well, I I had a take on. Um, it, it was good for the show in general to go back to some uh, some basic physics. I I like that Tilly and and uh, Burnham were trying to triangulate stuff. The the I wouldn't call the math off. It was just weird how they were doing it. And I loved how she just sort of connected the three dots, which made no sense to me in terms oh, yeah. of how that would triangulate. I, 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 I did at least appreciate that they uh, that the writers understood. And I called this last week that three is not enough to actually uh, try to figure yes. out where the thing is because we're not, we're not like on the surface of a planet. But you are correct, Rudy, that drawing a triangle is not what triangulate means uh, well, in this yeah, in, in terms of figuring, figuring out where the origin was. But to your point, it, it took me back to the Stargate reference of how six symbols identify three lines that intersect and define a point in space. So that was cool. Um, they did mention um, 
Lagrange point, the ship uh, materializes yeah, in front of a Lagrange point. It was kind of off though, um, in terms of where where they materialized versus two moons. It it seemed wrong, but um, SP nineteen. Yeah, it looks like they've um they've the Star Trek has taken a lot of shots at Vulcan. They you know destroyed the planet in the two thousand nine series movies. They um. Uh, are now ejecting them from the Federation, or they're out of the Federation because they think they caused the burn and they're holding that grudge or that self-pain for, what, 100 uh, hundred years, 120 years? Well, they even said that they think that the Federation forced their hand in causing the burn. Yeah. Like, So it wasn't even... Yeah, I'm so gonna, that I'm was gonna, an interesting... I'm going to pull us back real quick because I want to make sure <laughs> we mention that SB-19 was Navarre's contribution to the dilithium shortage. It could transport ships in an instant, which is interesting. You brought up Stargate, Rudy, because people have, online have been talking about Stargate SG-1 and how the technology seems similar. Mm. They Navarians wanted to stop doing SB-19. The Federation forced them to continue, and that's why the Navarians think that they caused the burn through SB-19. And then we get that very interesting line of dialogue you were talking about, Emily, from Federation President or Navarre President Tarina about the needs of the few. Yeah, they reversed mm-hmm. that one, right? Yeah. Uh, by the way, Navarre, someone online thought that N I V A R says now it's Vulcans and Romulans. Nice. <laughs> Can I just say, um, I feel really bad for the actors who were cast as Romulans because they looked pretty lame in their Romulan makeup <laughs> while the Vulcan looked pretty badass. Oh, yeah, his, his and, ears, yeah. And I'm talking about yeah. the three, yeah, although yeah. I thought the Vulcan president or the Navarran president, I thought I thought she looked pretty awesome too. But um, but yeah, I was just like, oh, wow, the Romulans, that's not good makeup. But sorry, mm-hmm. makeup artists for Discovery. Normally you do a great job, but well, I did they not him, think the If Vulcan. they made him bald with tattoos, then uh, they'd have to be evil, so... <laughs> Well, or they just cast people that don't look good in those in that kind of makeup. Just like, yeah. uh, sorry, but Colin Maney in in Klingon and and Renee Obergenois <laughs> when they were Klingons in DS Nine, it was not good, you know. Like, whereas, uh, you know, Avery Brooks looked amazing, but yeah, yeah, some some people, you know, like like Colin Maney just doesn't look good as a Klingon. <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah, and I felt that way about the actors that they cast for the the two Romulan... Uh, what, what was their role? I can't remember what their role was called, but you were calling them senators. I know they weren't senators. <laughs> yeah, but, but they're... Uh, tribunes, I think? Tribunal? Yeah, right? something. Something yeah. like that. Um, yeah, because it was a quorum, but yeah, I couldn't remember what the individuals were. The, the Navarre, by the way, is a term coined in 1967 by linguist Dorothy Jones, who wrote the Dorothy and Mifonwi series of Star Trek stories for the fanzine T-Negative in the late 1960s and early 1970s. It literally means to form and was an art form practiced on Vulcan in which a subject was examined from two different viewpoints or in terms of having two different aspects or natures. This very deep cut was referenced in the yeah. name of a Vulcan vessel in the Enterprise episode, Shadows of Pajem, as well. Mm. So are they uh, called Navarans now? That's that's established? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, Navarre has Vulcans, Romulans, and Romulo-Vulcans. I wonder what happened to the Vulco-Romulans. Well, what about the Remans? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, maybe they towed Remus... 
over to Vulcan, and that's why Vulcan has moons Extra now. Extra moon. <laughs> so you made the you had earlier in the notes, which we didn't talk about it. The two the whether there was a moon for Vulcan or not. I always understood that Vulcan was two planets. And that Romulus was similar, like Romulus and Remus was two mm. planets also. Huh. Um, and I don't know if I got that from, I might have gotten that from some of the books. You, you got that from when, one of the books. That, there was a yeah, book that you read that Spock's talked about. World or something. Yeah, Spock's World but, that talked about um, the um, two planet system. Yeah, because when, uh, when Enterprise started delving into Vulcan backstory and everything, I thought I was fascinated by that. So I went and got all of the books on Vulcan and just was reading nice. up on them. And so I always understood that it was two planets that are, you know, anyway, and that's, I think that's how Spock sees, that's where Spock is when he sees Vulcan destroyed in 2009, I think. Mm. Well, yeah, that's, that's how I read it. Yes. And, and there was, uh, some immediate reaction by people saying Vulcan has no moon. Spock says that like unequivocally in an episode, but there have been other episodes and movies where Vulcan has been shown to have either one or two, uh, at least objects in its uh, vicinity. So it is one of those areas where we can just let this go, and the writers were fully in their right to to do that. But we do, we, uh, I, I'm kind of, I'm hopeful that maybe we return to Navarre and get some of that, you know, the book story put in because that sounds fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and just, just to add again, spacey stuff, Notch, um, a Lagrange point is a point between two bodies that have a 1 is to 25 ratio of mass or greater where gravity cancels out or negates each other. Mm-hmm. And so the point where they materialize, it looks like it was closer to the planet than either of the moons, which makes no sense. So again, well, not... I, I I don't know that I'd I'd hold the the Star Trek uh uh their their special effects people don't seem to ever have any idea of where anything is uh based on the dialogue it's always that there's that a ship is 500 kilometers away and, and they're shown like within 25 feet of the ship uh I I feel like the visuals that we get in Star Trek in general are just have absolutely nothing to do with the script. And I mean that's that's unfortunate and it frustrates me, but it it seems to be the grand tradition of Star Trek to have no idea about relations of objects in space. Yep, I think they're continuing that. <laughs> A user named A4 Tech Keyboard on Reddit said, maybe in the te- Kelvin timeline, Romulus becomes Navar. Probably not, but Navar say never. Okay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> let's uh, let's mention, of course, the Takalan Ket, quite close to my name, Nachiket. But uh, <laughs> Burnham notes that the Takalan cat had been used since the time of Serac, which Enterprise had established being in the 4th century. The Co- Since the time that Burnham's been in, the Kawat Milat are now must be the advocates involved in the Takalan cat. And also Insta-Tiki torches with Insta-Gongs are a thing <laughs> thanks to uh, programmable matter. So that's kind of convenient. Yeah. Uh, new Starfleet logos all over Discovery, including on the floor of Saru's ready room. All right, y'all. Let's let's move into memorable moments before we take a break. Were there were there parts of this episode that really stuck out to y'all that uh, y'all enjoyed? I actually liked the Saru Saru and Tarina conversation, the first one, and then the second one. It took me mm-hmm. back to. It took me back to original, Picardian Star Trek in mm-hmm. existing difficulties and how. There's still a that was actual diplomacy for me. Yeah. Um, the 
argument in the quorum was not, but anyway, I'll leave that be. Um, so I like that conversation. I think both um, Saru and Tilly, for me, um, their characters really developed, and not through like multiple scenes, but just a few lines here and there. Um, I really like that. So that, that conversation stood out, Saru and Tarina, for me. I just, I thought Tarina was an am- amazing character, and I hope, hope, hope we get to see more of her, so... There were some hints of some maybe potential romance between Saru and Tarina, which, uh, yes, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Notch is always catching the romance between different yeah. characters, I've noticed. Are you, are you trying to stitch a theme that you're going to reveal to us? The I'm just a shipper, y'all. I just yeah. ship everybody, you know, that's what happens. <laughs> what can I say? Uh, I, I I saw Tilly pulling Stamets into the incredibly non-soundproof a uh, little cube in the engineering is absolutely hilarious because especially when Joanne comes and knocks on it and speaks through the glass. <laughs> and the whole conversation was so adorably awkward. It was great. Uh, and when they get interrupted right at the wrong moment, I was like, oh, of course this happens. <laughs> I enjoyed Linus, that very much. He just materialized. Yeah. In the- <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, well, well, why don't we take a break over here? We'll come back and talk about character development. Come in. I got where you were going back there. But you could have picked a better time to do some parenting. Is this what you were like as a 12-year-old? You know, the first thing you told me, the first thing after all this time, that you didn't know how you fit in with your family anymore. Michael, you don't need to choose between the person you used to be and the person you are now. You shouldn't. Duty and joy go hand in hand. Duty is there so you can continue to pursue your happiness. And joy is there so that you have something real to fight for. Welcome back to Strange New Takes. I almost said welcome back to Strange New Worlds. I have not been cast as Laan yet, but maybe someday. <laughs> okay, uh, let's talk about character development from Unification 3. We were just talking about Navarre. Navarre, not Navarre, Navarre. This is not the kingdom of Navarre in Spain yet. Uh, but Navarre <laughs> President Tarina, who y'all mentioned had some great like old school dialogue. You know, we were talking about kind of ethics with her. The, the inversion of the needs of the few. We talked about this briefly where she seems to think that the Federation left some... Didn't, didn't satisfy Vulcan's needs. Did I pick up on that right? Yeah, it, it, it kind of seems like uh, they... There's... So, okay. Sorry, I'm just stumbling all over my words. But essentially, there seems to be a difference at the very least in our perception of what the Federation was a hundred years ago. So it's a, it's a bloated, uh, overreaching empire, uh, in some ways where it's starting to, uh, to, like require, uh, more resources from, uh, it's, it's member planets, which maybe are now starting to feel like subjects. Uh, I feel like that is, mm-hmm. uh, that is 
what Navarre was certainly feeling a bit of, but um, there's there seems to be a there's just a, a an interesting exploration of like the, maybe there's more about the Federation that we don't quite understand yet uh, that is going on, and I I, I, I appreciated the. Um, getting her perspective on, on that, because we haven't really had very many sophisticated looks at what the Federation is now, besides people who have barely ever heard of it or have mostly lost contact. Uh, the Navarre seems to have a unique viewpoint. That is, it's sort of a, we, we believed it at one point and we have a reason to not anymore. Um, so yeah, I, I, I appreciated that. Uh, direction that we got from her yes so so it looked like it looked like the Vulcans didn't like being not or sorry the Navarans didn't like being not trusted in their judgment that SB19 should just be shut down mm-hmm. they were a founding member probably you know that means something in the Federation where you have elevated members or permanent members equivalent of the Security Council uh, in the UN um and and so they felt that their their voice was not counted. The interesting bit you brought up, Adam, about the Federation being bloated, I'd actually taken notes on that. So 350 member worlds, right? That's what mm-hmm. Vance had said they'd expanded to. Is that is 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 the the writing team just taking a stance there and that's just too big? That that's never gonna hold. Um that's interesting. And if you go that big, you a single governing body whether it's 10 people or 50 people will just not be able to. Um, I mean, I, I, th- govern I think the that's... needs of the few, right? Like, be, like yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that that's a, that could be a reason or direction they're going because it, it seems like, uh, so they caused the dilithium shortage. Some of that had to be because uh, now that these Federation is so large, there's a mm-hmm. reason to send ships back and forth constantly uh, between the, it seems like it probably extends into the Delta Quadrant, uh, at the very least. I don't, I don't know how much of the, um, sort of the Beta a... Quadrant might have ended up in the Federation, but yeah, yeah. I was, I was thinking on those terms, but I have a more um, tangible reference back here to Earth. What two hundred countries or so, right? 200, 250 mm-hmm. countries, and I've, I've been a, I've been a sucker for. Um, unification, reunification, and and mean this with utmost respect. Um, there's individuals who, who like um, the right to self-determination, but whether it's the Koreas or mm-hmm. uh, the Yugoslav republics breaking up, I come from a country that has um, 10 plus very distinct cultures and they're still, you know, India's still a country. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I take great pride in that. Uh, and I, I see... I see us going to to space eventually as a planet, and and I I worry that if you cannot unite, if in in science fiction you cannot keep three hundred plus worlds together, how do you keep two hundred plus countries together and and become a planet that goes to space? Um, you know, a la Expanse, the series. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least Star Trek's answer to that was kind of that there aren't countries anymore. I think uh, Australia holds on for maybe another an extra fifty years before, beyond everybody else. But the it seems like people have mostly erased the um, the country specific designations. 
but I, I mean it, that that kind of that stuff is always kind of like hand waved. Um, well, and and we can't think in static terms, right? Like there yeah. was there was a shortage that caused a very specific set of circumstances in this. Era. We we haven't learned quite a, enough, but I think to to the point of what we know so far, it's that the Vulcans felt ignored, and they felt that in in seeking to meet the needs of the collective. Vulcan needs were being ignored. So, uh, and then it was kind of interesting how they had an orange-haired Vulcan or a blonde, orange-skinned Vulcan in charge who then led the pathway out of the Federation and they built a wall around their planet. It was very strange. Anyway, um, <laughs> okay. Um, let's talk about uh, Gabriel, uh, or not Gabriel Burnham, Michael Burnham and Gabriel Burnham. Let's talk about them together because in many ways, their storylines kind of met in the middle. Uh, one of the first things I wrote in my notes was a quote from Burnham. I've become someone new. And then I typed dot, 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 mom. And then mom <laughs> showed up. Hey, look at that. It was, it was amazing. And, and that was, uh, it was, it was very cool. Uh, I, I really enjoyed, I, I think we've talked at some length about how Gabriel Burnham confronted Michael about uh, her ill feelings in this episode. And Michael was able to get past him. What did y'all pick up as Michael's kind of, end point of this episode like where has she ended up as of the end of unification three in her feelings i feel like i feel she... like she... oh, oh right. we might Jinx. be about to say the same thing so <laughs> I'll, I'll let emily go <laughs> no i feel like i've talked a lot so you can go adam <laughs> okay so my feeling is that like this is the first completely unselfish thing that that she's gone for and this so th th there has been kind of this character arc that of that Michael Burnham has always seen herself as uh, she's she's always right. Uh, her motives are always pure, and she's never been able to reconcile the reality that maybe that's not entirely true. And I think to some degree, maybe that it it's there's a difficulty of being brought up by Vulcans when you're a human, where uh you're so she she started uh living with him i think probably i don't know if we have a definitive age but she was uh maybe like seven eight or something like that at the youngest when she started uh living on vulcan but she's she's going through all sorts of things that i don't know that Sarek and amanda were always well-equipped and certainly not Vulcan society were well-equipped to help her deal with having her emotions. And so she, she ends up it becoming kind of Vulcan ish, but never as wrapped up as uh, say Spock was. Um, although we've certainly had lots of like rebooted Spock where he's all over the place. Um, but there's th just like this episode has, has forced Michael to deal with um, the kind of the the conceit of her character over this entire series, and I I, I just I I really liked getting like deep into her, and you, you see her sort of like process it live during that trial, and it's um, yeah, it, it, this just feels like, and it made sense for me why she's able to recommit to joining discovery and being part of the federation even is she's now discovered one of the federation ideals of like that selflessness uh even if you don't necessarily get anything out of it um of course she still did get everything out of it and we solved all the problems but uh which is maybe my one criticism of the episode but 
See, she wouldn't have had that sort of growth as a character or person had she left Discovery because she was feeling this, you know, bumping up against things. Like she was only able to have like that it's like that you know so many we we see so many stories and probably have lived those stories where we try to run away to find ourselves or to figure out what the problem mm-hmm. is and that's not what fixes it like she mm-hmm. could have gone her entire life without dealing with what was going on inside of her if she just went off with book and they just went and did their thing like she would have never had to confront that but she had to confront it because she was within this structure um and uh, and I think the structure actually helped her confront it in a way that she otherwise could have just ignored it. So I, yeah. anyway, I, I think I'm glad that it turned around to her staying and, you know, not running off because she wouldn't have dealt with any of it. Right. And it was driving us crazy, right? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it was really starting to drive us crazy that she wasn't dealing with any of these things. There was so one of the things that did happen and this was she her relationship with book is ex- there's a little bit more exposition on that and we'll get to that in a second when we talk about book but one of the things he mentions is that she has an enduring messianic complex which again <laughs> this is though i feel like this this show talking about itself a little bit and it's interesting that the one time she doesn't want responsibility for saving something she ends up becoming the reason that romulans and vulcans stay united and <laughs> It was, uh, it was. I, I kind of like the 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 dichotomy present there a little bit, even though it did add to Michael Burnham saving the insert, you know, <laughs> blank here resume a little bit. But I thought that was fine. And what do y'all think about this line? It's possible that a person who has a complex relationship with the future is the exact right person to do this job. I, I was. That sounds like con- something Colbert would say. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was slightly confused by it because he's it's the past that she's from so it, it like he from his perspective it's not the future but yeah it <laughs> yeah I didn't get that sorry yeah I I thought it was just trying to book like trying to be like you should do this and here's some babble to try and convince you he's just confused her and she just you know she doesn't question him maybe so she just nods along yeah yeah you're right what yeah for for me vance already gave her enough justification like saying like oh michael burnham spock's sister that's who we should send right uh and I, yeah i don't i don't know that we necessarily needed that extra stuff there was some uh, i picked up on a few tweets of people who was saying that oh wow she's kind of bigoted and being like oh yeah it was always the vulcans who wanted to stay in the federation but it turns out the vulcans weren't leaving the romulans wanted to stay there's a couple of times where she has that kind of prejudice mm-hmm. and when you think about it it makes sense because she was raised romulan I mean, Vulcan. Vulcan, yeah. <laughs> that was a mess up right there. Yeah. She was raised Vulcan, well, so of course she's going to have that prejudice towards them. Well, and how shocked was she that Romulus, or that Romulan, mm-hmm. Romulans mm-hmm. and Vulcans became reunited? I mean, she right. was like, wait, what? Wait, they were the same race? Wait, what? Like, right, which know, is the first time necessarily... the, the yeah. show has acknowledged that before Balance of Terror in the original series, the, the, the time that that episode happens, People didn't know that those two races were mm-hmm. kindred cousins, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah. Well, uh, let, let's talk. Let's move on talking to Gabriel Burnham real quick. I think the operative. We've talked quite a bit about her. Uh, the operative line was, "You always know where to find me," and that was I thought was very touching. First time in her life she's been able to tell her daughter that. Um, mm-hmm. I cried at the end of the episode. I'll confess. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I hope I hope we see her, her character again. I think so, and and it isn't just because like she dies and now Burnham has to like avenge her or something. So I wasn't on a podcast when this happened last season, but when they had the reveal of who was in the blue the red angel suit, and. I you don't at first realize that it's her mom. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're gonna think I'm crazy for thinking this, but I thought somehow it was like <laughs> the child of Michael Burnham and Philippa Giorgio, and I don't know how that would happen. <laughs> but the actor looks like a blend mm. of Sonequa Martin Green and Michelle Yeoh. I don't know what it is, but there's something about her features, like and just the way they had her lit. I thought she looked like the two of them melded together, and I was like, "How did this happen? (laughs) This is going to be really fascinating." And maybe this explains like the deeper connection that the two of those characters have, despite the universe they're from, right? You know, I mean, there's, you know, uh, Burnham feels this affinity for Philippa, regardless of which universe she's in and the same for philippa and her affinity for michael you know i'm mean, anyway so there you I go not share that well, your, your, your love connection <laughs> yeah, um, there, there, there you go and the, the unfortunate thing is that we've outlawed time travel so michael cannot go back and become her own grandma i know i was gonna say it was like a willie nelson song <laughs> so, willie nelson that sings that song on my own grandpa <laughs> sonia Sone is the actress who plays uh gabriel burnham while i'm while i'm name dropping actresses shout out tara rosling who plays tarina we had her she in this awesome uh, yep played kind how of, many times do you oh go ahead i was gonna say kind of reminiscent of princess leia almost in in her uh, kind of mm, comportment yeah. through the episode in some ways well, but uh, how times do you have actors that are able to be in a show like star trek and they look like they are the alien race that Mm -hmm. they are representing like you don't feel like they went through makeup to get that way you know like anyway she kind of had had that hair a little different and it was fine right yeah no that she she just really embodied that character they could have taken her and had had her as the first vulcan come off that first contact ship and it would be amazing there you go (laughs) she she also by the way was wearing attire that was very reminiscent of romulan robes in some way or, or ta- like it was kind of a mix between vulcan and romulan robes yeah. and so there was a quite a bit of like this melding stuff which if you looked of, of the two cultures if you looked into mm-hmm. the badges that was like the most obvious one where you got the edict triangle inside the romulan like um uh the bird i forget which exact bird it is but um so, so there was quite a bit of stuff there. If you like pause, you can see that. Uh, but uh, don't have time to go into it right now. Um, let's move on to talking about Book, who seems to know exactly where the zippers are on the Starfleet uniform. I thought we were going to get a decon scene. We didn't. Uh, we just <laughs> we got straight to them under the PG. sheets. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> well, he struggled with his zipper so long, so he's an expert now. There you go. Um, and, and his ship is sitting in the shuttle bay, so he gets to look out the back of Discovery. That's kind of convenient. It's blocking the exit, isn't it? Like, I found that yeah. nothing can leave. Yeah, it's a bit awkward place finish. His face, when he says, and you're not leaving, are you? And she says, I belong with this here with this crew. Oh, heartbreak. You know, um, I couldn't tell if he's deciding that he has to now leave her or whether he's like, oh, well, I guess I'm sticking around now. I think it's the latter. He can't, though. He's got to, like, save those, like, tadpoles or whatever. I know, but his home base could still be, you know, I don't know. I feel like there's, especially when, you know, 
you feel like home. I don't know. I just felt like they were kind of setting it up for them to somehow be together. You, th- you think but- he'll be like, that was the year my life took a hard lift. <laughs> I mean, he's going he to have to start Australia the- now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, in the, it's, it's in the same Commonwealth or Dominion. Yeah, there you go. It's just, it's all the same. <laughs> I I hope that they reunification. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I hope that basically where they take the book Burnham relationship is that they like sped into it too quickly and they need to be like whoa 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 relax it gets really awkward between them because it's like you feel like home so do you yo guys it's been like five minutes like chill no it's been a year are you kidding me she spent a year in that ship with that man and they never yeah i'm sorry but Fair enough. i mean I'm not you know you would have so i mean come on <laughs> <laughs> every single one of us on this podcast yeah. has talked about how beautiful that man is oh hell yeah um speaking of beautiful men let's talk about saru in this episode who turns out to be very thoughtful and diplomatic uh rudy you talked about how his dialogue was reminiscent of tng somewhat uh his choice to pick tilly is what i want to give just a few minutes on because tilly says sir are you asking me because i'm qualified or because i'm compliant Mm. saru i'm asking because i believe this is in the best interests of the ship was he what he didn't answer the question though i think he was just going off what happened in that that failed luncheon that he had right (laughs) everybody threw stuff and left <laughs> um I don't think he answered the question I yeah. So so what was behind his choice? I don't understand his choice in in a crew of ninety people. Um I'm not saying she's right at the bottom of those ninety, but um he I, I mean obviously again Tilly they show Tilly having a strong model compass and and giving him direction on what he needs to do asap right like go go tell vance um but is that enough is that enough to that, that's all we have right obviously she's um got the technical jobs she's got decent relationships with everybody um she's not had a major swing in in um emotions almost everybody else has had in one way or the other uh but still, is that enough? It's almost like they didn't have enough, at least from my perspective, maybe I was lacking in understanding the other characters, but it almost sounds like there wasn't enough background or depth in the other characters to switch somebody out for first officer. Um, I think that's what it was. I, I mean, it feels like they had to pick someone that was a main character who everyone's familiar with rather than bringing one of the people who's been in the background to the forefront, which I think would actually be nice to bring some of the background I want to see those background characters become more I mean they're named now and so that's good but I want to see them play a bigger role um but it does feel it does feel a little weird could be none I mean obviously it couldn't be well yeah I mean she would have she yeah she maybe would have been the obvious choice had it not been you know had they not gotten rid of her but like it couldn't be Stamets he's he's like such a jerk sometimes you know so (laughs) um so I mean I guess Tilly is who it had to be right I don't know it felt weird. That was another thing I kind of bumped against. I was okay. like, I really like Tilly, but you don't make an ensign the first officer. And if you are going to make her the first officer, then you better um, at least make her a lieutenant. But I think the way that I was able to justify it is that Saru needs, he's got enough forces that are arrayed against him and he needs somebody who he can trust implicitly. 
mm-hmm. and he knows that if if nothing else, Tilly is sincere. And so I think that combined with that, you know, the the good first impression is is the choice that he has to make, which is that who among these people can I absolutely just know that when I ask for something, I will get a sincere response, even if it is a disagreement. And I think that that's part of it, uh, even though it's not the perfect choice. So, yeah, and you're you're right, Naj. Though for me, a first officer is somebody you can put in front of your leaders or your. Mm-hmm. super leaders and you don't have to like be there to chaperone the conversation so i mean again i, I think about i'm asking this question um a yeah. second time and maybe i'm a sucker for vance but what would vance think he'd be like oh you first officer oh, hello <laughs> <laughs> um, but we'll see maybe it's 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 a great platform for the 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 writers to develop uh tilly in a way that we just haven't seen which um again i felt was one-dimensional until the last episode or so i, I think there was great great yeah, development th- in the beginning so i i think they're trying to make up for some of the stuff that they did to her character in season two so it, it it's um I, I i i think it makes sense trajectory wise for tilly uh because i don't i don't think she can just be like the comic relief for the entire series because it, they're like they're still supposed it seems like there's there's a point to her character and it's not just like, oh, ha, ha, look at how awkward she is. Um, like, we want to see her go on some sort of journey. And, like, this is at least an interesting way to do it. But And, yeah. and part of that journey, we saw this episode where Tilly stands up for herself. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's that moment was the, the most, uh, like... The, the moment that she did that, I was like, oh, you yes, you should be first officer. Like, I, I you have earned it now. Like, that's... Mm-hmm. But we hadn't quite seen her go that far before. But, I mean, m- maybe it's a case where in order to let someone develop those skills, you need to give them that position. And there's, there's not a way to kind of prepare you for something like that. Besides, we can... Yeah, you can take some tests, but... Mm. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I think I'm, I'm interested again to see what happens in terms of that journey with Tilly going forward. And that's, that's where I left off with her development in this episode. I think it was interesting that she had to be coaxed into the job by all of her crewmates, but I think that it's appropriate to the character that the character wouldn't want to like tread. And so it was important for her crewmates to be there, um, saying, say yes, which was organized by Stamets, who I was initially like, dude, how can you say that? It would be weird and just leave it there. How can you can just shout in her? But it's okay. She's walking away, you know, like, uh, but uh, so so that was, and and he obviously can organize these groups of people. Did you all notice that there was one person in the back of this group of people? So it was all a bunch of the bridge officers, a bunch of the other officers that we've seen. And then there was like, a few people that we didn't recognize and there was one point where they're saying say yes and there's one guy in the back who kind of looks around a little bit confused and i swear like it's going as like, why am i in this group i've never been <laughs> i think he was blinking I? a lot as well right yeah no <laughs> i don't know <laughs> true star trek extra i don't know um <laughs> but uh anyway look mom there i am i'm right back there do you see i'm blinking a lot back there that's me uh, well, let's 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 move into talking about trivia bits real quick. If you include archive footage and stills, Leonard Nimoy has now appeared in five different series as well as nine films. 
That, by the way, including a bunch of other stuff that I've mentioned as, as stuff from this episode comes from Antithesis on Star, Star Trek Reddit, uh, who always puts together some great canon references and, and uh, lists of things that are from the current episode. Uh, should also mention, this is again something from what he posted, that this, since this is the first time the planet has appeared, Vulcan, uh, in a point in time after its counterpart's destruction in the 2009 film. So uh, it's kind of interesting to see. And of course, in that universe, Romulus still exists. In this one, Romulus does not. So this is this is the first... I mean, it's obvious based on where we are in the timeline, but it's kind of interesting. Uh, let's, let's do this quickly because this episode is becoming very long. But can you all give me some ratings that I can add to our spreadsheet, please? Who's going to stick their neck out and give this episode a strange new rating first? Me! Uh, Okay, well, I wanted to go. Nice. I never go first. <laughs> you go, 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 go. <laughs> I usually do four. I usually do out of five, and I'm going to give it a ten. Okay, all right. Mm. Well, I just think it's it's. I think it's my favorite episode of Discovery. I loved it. I thought I want to go watch Unification one and two, and then watch Unification three. I think that would be really awesome. Um, I love that I can watch this show with my kid mm-hmm. without having to wait until he's 15 years old. Um, so yeah, I just really thought it was a great episode. I thought it was it was a nice callback to episodes that have come before without being like hitting you over the head. Like it didn't feel like it was hitting you over the head. It just felt like a natural uh, evolution of that story. So nice. I will give it um, seven point five Vulcan moons out of ten. Um, I did like them going back to um, a primary race in the Star Trek uh, universe. I did get lost a little bit around um, the ups and downs of Burnham's journey and, and and where she ended up and how the two uh, Navarran senators or tribune people sort of got undercut completely. But um, They're called peers, by the way. I looked this up. It's okay. peers of the oh, quorum. Yes. Peers of the quorum. Peers of the quorum. There you go. So the guys on either side who didn't have good, uh, good makeup... Um, they didn't even realize that they lost the data. <laughs> uh, so yeah, seven point five out of ten for me. I th- I think Notch should give the next one. I feel like bookending this. Okay, all right, all right. I'm gonna, <laughs> so I, does I'm... Notch. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was I'm just trying not to like dim the mood. I'm gonna give it a six and a half out of ten. It's uh, it doesn't hit that rewatchability threshold, which I think for me is like a seven. Maybe in a, I think that's what I've said. Like. To me, bad episode starts at about a four and a half or five. A rewatchability, like I want to put this on again, starts at about a seven. So this is just about below that, six and a half out of ten. So yep. I'll I'll yep. I will say that Emily's given me an idea of how to rewatch it. I wouldn't mind watching one and two and and then seeing if I want to watch three. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I'm gonna. Uh, Notch gave me the courage uh, back in Lower Decks. He gave an episode a 10 saying that you can't have a perfect episode. There's never a perfect episode of television. So sometimes you just need to call it out. And I'm going to give this one a 10 as well. Uh, I just. Bowens unite. Yeah. (laughs) There's just, uh, there's so much that this episode did for me. I love that we resolved. I mean, we'll see for next episode, but we, we did deep character work. We made ourselves uncomfortable. We went through, uh, we connected that deep character work to an interesting plot point. We introduced more uh, cultural stuff, which was just great. And I just, fantastic episode of Star Trek. 
eminently rewatchable in my mind. I have one more thing that I wanted to throw in earlier, but I couldn't figure out where to do it. And you all may think this is blasphemy. I don't know. I felt that there were hints of drumhead in this episode because you have a character who's driving um, something along for their own purposes, but you don't realize that it's for their own purposes until it kind of gets uncovered through this trial. And that's what happened. Except in this case, it was our hero. Yeah. It wasn't like the villain that was mm-hmm. brought in from the outside. But, you know, anyway, so I, I saw some parallels too with drumhead. All right. Well, uh, we are rapidly approaching a mark I don't want us to meet uh, in terms of time with this episode. So I'm going to say thank you, Adam. Thank you, Rudy. Thank you, Emily, for joining me tonight. It's thank you, Notch. Thanks, Notch. Thanks, Absolutely. Notch. Thank you, Bill, Dinah, and Max, whatever y'all are doing this weekend. I hope it's wonderful. And thank you, listener, for joining us as well. Happy Thanksgiving to you if you celebrate in the United States. Uh, Thanks to Jishnu Guha, who made our theme music. He's got a podcast named Geek Fruit that you can check out if you so want. And I want to thank Naraj, the peer of the tribunal who just didn't care what Bernard had to say. Because, you know, we all have someone in our lives who's that stubborn and makes us really think about what our mom is saying standing next to us and why she's saying so much. And can you just stop, please? This crowd is really judging me right now. So thank you, Naraj, for being there and prompting that whole situation. All right, everybody, we'll see you in a week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.